we're moving you away from getting in front of an audience and getting through your material. And we're moving you towards getting in front of an audience and watching the audience receive your material. And that changes everything. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Joining me this week on the Inspire Podcast is Dan Doomshaw. Dan is a longtime consultant with the Humphrey Group. I met him a decade ago in Vancouver, and he is a teacher. He is a performer. He is an improv specialist. He performs on the main stage of Vancouver Theatre Sports League. And I had Dan on to talk about why improv and the practice of improv is something that every leader should incorporate uh, into their skill set if they really want to be inspirational. Enjoy my conversation with Dan Doomshaw. Well, Dan is actually the first person who I interviewed on the podcast almost a year ago, but the audio didn't quite work out. And we said, you know, gosh, we got to redo this. So Dan, you're not only the first guest, but you're also uh, the 30-something guest. So welcome back. Thank you, Bart. It's an honor to be here and to reach all the people who listen to the Inspire podcast. Well, I know they'll be excited to hear what we can improvise together. And uh, that's really what I guess we're going to co-create today. We're going to co-create a conversation about improv and about why everyone who wants to lead, who wants to inspire, should do a little improv and incorporate it into their work. And maybe I'll start there because I think most people have heard the term improv, but why don't I just start by asking to define what is improv? Yes, excellent question. That's a, a great opener. And I'll take actually my preparation for this conversation as an example to talk about what improv is. So we're going to have this conversation on the Inspire podcast. I, of course, look over my material on improv. I'm reading some articles, thinking about what I want to say. And like most of the clients that I work with at the Humphrey Group, I pose the question, who feels more confident when they're prepared? And of course, everyone puts up their hand. And then I suggest to them that this relationship between preparation and confidence is actually a dotted line. Preparation is one way to feel confident. And so for this conversation that we're having today, I did a little bit of preparation and then I stopped because I didn't want to just regurgitate what I had read or prepared in this conversation. I wanted to let your questions surprise me and access things that I could talk about with you and our listeners here in the moment. And that's what improv is. It's around co-creating with a partner. It's not something that you can do alone. It's something that you co-create with someone else. And really, all of our lives are improvised. When you go to the store and have a conversation with the person at the checkout, that's not a rehearsed conversation. You are reading their body language. You're giving a comment, maybe asking them how their day was. And that might go into a little bit of banter. And 
when that banter starts to be co-created, when they perhaps lay the groundwork for a pun, like you did there in Colin Mockery's introduction, and then I pick up on it, and we have a little bit of play together, that can really brighten both of our days. Because we've both joined in this moment of time and created together. And it's an incredibly tough thing to do because both people have to be present in that moment. And that's what improv is. It's working together to create something in the moment. That's a great description. And, you know, I think what I'm really taking from that is that improv isn't just something that happens at a theater. Improv isn't something that just happens at the stage. Improv is part of life. Uh, and the, the moments that you co-create where you're present, where you're, you're having that play are something that we can, we can bring to all interactions. Uh, and really that we should, we should. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. And for us at the Humphrey Group, when I'm working with our clients, this is a big differentiator around authenticity and leadership. When you are interacting with a leader who is there with you, and there's this sense that you are working with live ammunition, so to speak, that this conversation that you're having with your leader has real results and they're listening to your ideas and you're shaping the course together, uh, that's when you have a maximum impact on your people as a leader. Mm. So all this work that I've done in improv and my professional performance of improv, it allows me to bring that to our clients at the Humphrey Group to talk about how they can display more authenticity and be more engaging with, with their audiences, the leaders that we work with. Yeah, and I think now more than ever, there's no tolerance if you can't do that. And you know, just as an example, you know, I, we were chatting before we started this podcast about a trip you took to the UK. And when we're recording this, the path to Brexit or no Brexit is <laughs> more muddled than it's ever been. And I was reading a piece on, on one of the failures of uh, Theresa May was that when she went out to sell her plan, she couldn't improvise. She couldn't, she couldn't be present. So she just regurgitated the same, you know, Brexit means Brexit line. People would say, well, tell me what you mean by that. Brexit means Brexit. And the fact that she couldn't in the moment co-create and adjust really hurt her ability to sell it. So it, it strikes me that, that this skill is one that, that people have to have if they want to lead. Absolutely. You, you're talking about the difference between rigidity and being able to adapt and being able to be nimble. Mm. And so let's, that's, that's a good transition to the first big question I want to ask you, which is what reasons are there for leaders to incorporate improv training or practices into their communication? It's so important for leaders to incorporate improv into the way that they interact with their teams and their colleagues. And the, and the biggest reason is it forces you to collaborate. And it gets you out of that example that you talked about where someone has a rigid approach where they've made up their mind and they're not able to even honor questions. They go back to the messaging that they've prepared. So it seems like you're talking to a brick wall. And that usually will lead an audience then to get very defensive, ask even harder questions and leave unsatisfied because they don't feel recognized. They don't feel acknowledged. So the biggest reason for leaders to adopt improv is to collaborate with people, to get this sense of excitement where you are actually using your team to build something together. I saw a recent quote uh, I think it was from Apple, from Steve Jobs saying, 
we don't hire the smartest people to tell them what to do. We hire the smartest people so they can tell us what to do. But if you are locked in your idea of what has to happen and you're not listening, you're not improvising with your team, they're going to be really frustrated because they don't feel like they're contributing to a, a future that they're a part of. And so I'm, I'm also picking up from that, that co-creation that you're going to build your listening skills through improv. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, listening is a huge pillar of improv, and it's a huge pillar of, of how we train leaders at the Humphrey Group to add in this element of listening. Because if, if you're not listening, what you then contribute, or what we say in improv is offer, we talk about any kind of contribution or information or idea as an offer, your offers aren't going to resonate with the reality of the scene. If you're not listening, you don't know the context of a situation, you don't know the needs of your audience, you've got your way or the highway. It would be like a builder going around trying to, to create a house using two hammers and no nails. So a lot of banging is happening, a lot of noise is happening, but nothing is sticking together. And I want you to take me, uh, you know, you, you've been in boardrooms, you've coached leaders for a decade with us now. And when you describe this, these skills, what are the, the manifestations of them not happening? You know, people who, who, who could benefit from improv uh, in the world of work. Yeah, it's people who don't veer off of their script. So I have coached VPs who are presenting to a board of directors and they have their PowerPoint deck and it's locked and they get in there and perhaps in their introduction there's a joke made or a reference made and they, they completely miss that opportunity to respond to that joke or respond to that reference and they go right into their presentation as planned. They gallop ahead with the script. And I've been in those rooms where the mood changes and people either tune out because it's clear that they're not needed. This person is on autopilot delivering the presentation, so there's no reason for me to pay attention. Uh, so that they'll tune out or they'll be immediately crestfallen that the person hasn't taken that opportunity to interact with them. And so they are biased against the content that's being presented simply because that opportunity was missed, which has nothing to do with the presentation, but it sets this dynamic up of, oh, you're not here to interact with me. Fascinating example, because you would think of a presentation as a one-way communication, you know, on surface, right? But what you're really saying is that any interaction, even the ones that are most formally presented as one way, you have to co-create if you're going to reach people. Oh, absolutely. Our, one of our vice presidents at the Humphrey Group, Rob, uh, said many years ago, there's no such thing as a presentation. There are only conversations. And sometimes when I'm leading a course and people are getting nervous about our presentation component, I'll share that quote with them and say, there is no such thing as a presentation. You're here to talk with us. And in your pauses, I want you to look at the way that we're reacting to what you say. And then let that influence the way you say the next thing. And I'll sometimes even talk about our entire work uh, with the Humphrey Group as we're moving you away from getting in front of an audience and getting through your material. And we're moving you towards getting in front of an audience and watching the audience receive your material. And that changes everything. Yeah. Now, I also think 
<laughs> that it's pro- it's quite scary for people. You know, if you think about the presentation, you think about, I have to share this information. I have to present the business case. I have to let them know the work that went into this. I have to go through the template. What do you say to people who would tell you, look, this isn't improv. This is about me getting through this so that they can understand the depth of information that they need to. What I would say to that person is that you won't know if they've understood it unless you are there present as you're presenting it. I should be able to ask you after the presentation, how did that go? How did they respond? And many clients say to me, I have no idea. I don't hmm. even remember what I said. <laughs> it's like you enter because a fugue they, state. They, that's right. And it's, and it's dark, right? So you get in there, you recite it as you practiced it, you get out and you say, thank God it's over. But actually you've missed the opportunity to meet them where they're at and to get a gauge on how they've responded to your thinking. And so a lot of times when you start to improvise and you start to be able to be nimble and find all of those magical gifts that are available in the moment in terms of connecting with people, the moment starts to get brighter. You move from the dark into the light and I'll say to you, how did that go? Then they can start to diagnose and say, it went really well. I I love the way I started. I can tell when I started to speak about finances that the CFO has some major concerns. And when I started to talk about the rollout, well, the head of operations is going to need a follow-up on that one. And the questions at the end that were brought to me by the uh, investor relations people show me that there's an appetite for this, but they're worried about investor confidence. Like that's the level of detail Mm, that you should get from your observations by being in the moment. So, Kellen, I love your metaphor about moving from darkness to light. So, look, let's say I'm ready to move to the light. Let's let's talk about we talked about why improv is important for leaders, because builds their listening skills, allows them to co-create, allows them to get insights into their audience and really have a conversation. So let's let's talk about building these skills. How do you actually teach someone? Improv. I mean, and, and maybe just before we step back into the boardroom, you know, you have become a professionally trained improviser. When you show up for your first day of improv school, for the lack of a better term, I, I guess there are improv schools. What happens? Absolutely. So we teach drop-in classes at Vancouver Theatre Sports, where someone can come in and try some of these improv exercises for two hours. And then if they like that and get serious about it, they'll take our first course, which is an eight-hour program. You get a group in the room. And the first concept that we teach is this idea of accepting offers, the yes. And you might have heard this concept in improvisation uh, around the importance of yes and. Mm -hmm this yes and rule. So you're accepting an offer, you're accepting what someone gives you and then you're building on it. So the first part of that yes and is simply the yes, is Mm. accepting someone else's offer. So I'll start out by getting people in pairs in front of the group and having them practice this idea of saying yes to each other, of saying Mm. yes to to an offer. So this is my, someone might come out and say, this is my new dog. And it's amazing how our instinct is to get defensive Hmm. and think that we need to introduce conflict right away. So I'll often see people say, well, no, it isn't, or that's a cat, (laughs) or or, you need to take your medication, grandpa, (laughs) right? 
<laughs> and we just dial it right back to first wow. get this muscle of, yes, I've heard you. Yes, why I do accept. Why is that, Dan? Why is it that the instinct is to ratchet things up? I think that at first it feels safer to disagree. At first it feels like you're going to be more interesting and that you're going to introduce a conflict that you can then work on if you disagree. But what happens is the audience immediately loses interest. Hmm. If I say, this is my new puppy, and you say, that's not a dog, it's a cat, immediately we've got this discrepancy, and the audience, you can even see them, lean away from the actors Hmm. because there's not agreement. So we start with these simple exercises where the partner then says, oh, that dog is beautiful. Wow, it's so little. Where did you get him? And so that's the yes. It's accepting what someone has said to you. It's so simple. And oftentimes in business and in communications, it's validating that you've heard someone's contribution. So in a meeting, let's say we're having a sales meeting and somebody says, well, we need to get this new product out to all of our customers. And the head of marketing says, "Uh, no, 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 you're skipping about 10 steps. It's not ready yet. Hmm. Right, So that's that example of not saying yes right away. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the idea. It means you have to acknowledge receipt of the idea to say that, we're, that you've contributed something. So in that, in that example, it might be, we need to get this product out to our customers right away. And then by saying yes, it would be uh, something like, it is so exciting. And definitely, this is something that we will get out, of, out to our customers I want it to be ready and I want it to not have any glitches hmm. when it gets out there. It's, it's remarkable. It's such a mindset, such a simple thing, simply saying yes and accepting. But it is a yeah, mindset shift. <laughs> people confuse it with, well, I don't want, I can't just say yes to everybody. We'll go over <laughs> budget and we'll put safety in jeopardy and I can't be just a yes person. And it's not about that. It's not about actually giving permission. It really is about acknowledging receipt and making someone feel heard. Mm. I'd love to try it. Can you, can you take me inside improv and put me through an exercise? <laughs> yeah. So let's try this exercise. This is okay. called yes and versus yes but. Okay. And we'll do this with our clients to expose what kind of mindset that they default to. Okay, we're going we're going to plan, let's plan something uh, for the company. Like, what's an event that we could plan? Oh, well, let's plan this. It's our 30th year anniversary, so let's pr- plan a giant celebration. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to plan this celebration. The rule in this planning is that each one of our responses has to begin with the prompt, yes, and. Okay. So it means that we've heard the person's idea. And we're going to build specifically on that idea. And the challenge here, there's two challenges. One is to not ask questions. Hmm. Because if I say, if you say, uh, let's plan our 30th anniversary. And I say, yes, and where should we have it? What I've done is Hmm. I've put the pressure back on you to contribute another idea. Okay. So what I've got to do is... I've got to give my additional, the and piece, it has to relate to your idea. It can't be a non sequitur. It's got to build on what you have offered. And in this way, the metaphor is a staircase. We're building a staircase where each of us adds one step. 
And you'll see how, it, you know, it gets a little bit difficult. So I'll start it with that line and you yes and me. Okay. Let's plan the Humphrey Group's 30th anniversary, Bart. Yes, and we have a lot to celebrate uh, at this juncture. Yes, and that means that there will be a lot of people who we can invite, because if we have a lot to celebrate, it's because we've involved a lot of people over 30 years. Yes, and we can not only involve all the people who have made the company great, but we can also involve all of our clients. Yes, and to reach this many people, I would love to have some kind of a technological component where we're webcasting or including others from different areas in the world. Yes. And not only can we include them during the event, but we can open up a chat channel pre and post to share what they've loved about working with or being part of the company. Yes. And they could send in their questions on this chat channel. And part of the 30th anniversary could be a a tongue-in-cheek Q&A to give an example of the kind of work that we do with clients. Yes. And we could take this opportunity to flip things and have the clients be the instructors and teach us the most important things about what we've been doing for 30 years. Yes. And the clients could then give the first toast when it comes to celebrating the 30 years to keep that involvement going. Yes. And we should have a voting system that celebrates the best toasts and we can take the top 10 to some fantastic secret island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean to celebrate. (laughs) Okay, yes, and let's talk about budget. So so that felt felt great. Uh, What did you find challenging about that? Well, as as it progresses, it, it becomes more challenging to find the build. I mean, even to the point where at the end, I felt like I felt like we kept narrowing like more and more, right? And more focused. Yes, and. So that's in some ways where I was like, okay, we've done this. So now I, that's why I add the island thing. I'm like, we need to open it back up. Um, so that's what I found challenging to keep it going uh, yes. authentically. And it's so important in a brainstorm to get all these ideas on the table. Some of these things aren't going to happen. There may be some technical difficulties with webcasting people in. We might Mm -hmm. not want to have that Q&A session because Mm -hmm. it leaves too much up to chance, especially if it's a live broadcast. But this wasn't the time to kill those ideas. Mm. Because if we killed any of those ideas, it actually would have stopped the the process dead in its tracks. Mm. Because we wouldn't have felt comfortable sharing at that point. Yeah. Yeah, bad ideas will fall out under their own weight. It's more important to pursue what you like about the idea and to keep building on that than to talk about why things can't work, especially in this brainstorming phase. I think another thing that was challenging on that is my brain kept going to analyzing what you were putting forward. And I I was forced to not do that, but to simply think of what I could build on. It's... That's incredible because my brain was doing the exact same thing. As I gave my idea, my brain started to expand on my personal contribution on my idea. And there was always the threat that I wasn't listening to your idea 
because I kept expanding on mine. But I, what, what this forces you to do is to stop thinking and creating independently and to listen to the other person's contribution. So your plan is malleable. Instead of my turn to listen being time to think so I can contribute further, I actually have to receive what you're saying because if what I contribute isn't building on that, then I'm not fulfilling the yes and exercise. So it really forces you to build in these stops in Mm -hmm. the process where you have the temptation to continue developing Mm -hmm. it on your own but what you've got to do is get back to the collaboration, keep returning right. to the collaboration. I can see that would be a great tool before any brainstorm session to do, before any meeting where you're trying to create an inclusive environment to put yourself and put your team in that frame of mind to use that to promote the, you know, really solicitation of the best ideas. And this is something that I keep learning again and again. I've been doing this for 10 years professionally improvising and yet I get on a client call with the Humphrey group and it's not it doesn't go how I expect Hmm. let's say we're talking about the way a course is going to be delivered and all of a sudden the client brings up the fundamentals of why we're doing the course and I didn't prepare for that I've got to be able to pivot and honor that question and not give in to the frustration of this isn't going how I wanted it to go because that's wasted energy and it's not actually going to lead me to to the best outcome right. in this interaction. Okay. So li- this ability to listen and build is huge. I want to do a second part of this okay, let's do activity it. where we're going to we're going to do the same exercise but this time the prompt is going to be yes but. Hmm. And then we're, we'll follow the logic of the but where instead of yes anding the ideas, we're going to give a reason why okay. why, why it can't happen. Let's so, do it. Okay. So let's plan the 30th anniversary for the Humphrey Group, Bart. Yeah, we should plan this, but we just have so many priorities to deliver for clients today. It, it might be a misuse of our time. Yes, you're right. We have a lot uh, of, of client needs, but there is only this one year window to plan this event for, for our 30th anniversary. So we've got to carve out some time to do it. Yes, it is important. Uh, you know, but we have to consider the cost uh, and we have to consider like, do we really want to be tooting our own horn rather than focusing on the future? Yes, there is a risk of, of coming off uh, in a self-righteous way, but, but there's also an opportunity here to share an accomplishment of this business milestone of being around for 30 years. Yes. You know, okay. So it's, let's say we do do a party or a celebration, but who would we invite? I mean, it's the list of people who have worked here so long. I don't know if we'd be able to reach them all. It's just, uh, it'd be challenging. Yes, it will be hard to get that accurate list of who needs to be invited but there are some people that we could both agree on that need to be there. So that would be a good place to start. It's, it's true. There are some people we could go to as defaults. But we risk actually annoying people or hurting people's feelings who aren't invited, who think they should be, or inconveniencing people who maybe are new to the company, don't have a third connection to their 30 years. And I'm just not sure we could go that way. 
Okay, <laughs> let's end. Let's end it there before we. Yeah, it we could spiral. get worse, right? It could get worse. <laughs> wow. So how did a different? How feel? did that feel? Oh, I mean, in some ways, it felt very natural. <laughs> I can't lie. You know, it's it's easy to listen to an idea and, and realize what's wrong with it and point that out. Well, well, first seeming to agree with it, but the the overall feeling of the tone is just kind of depressing. <laughs> you know, it's like this. It's a, the conversation. I, I felt like the conversation would just end because we're both. No, neither. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And we wouldn't be that motivated to pick it up again because it literally didn't feel good. We get. We both get into a defensive mind frame mm-hmm. uh, when when this is happening physically in a room. All notice participants will will move away from each other or mm. turn and cross their legs. Mm. They won't applaud as enthusiastically mm. at the end of the exercise. I'll say, give your partner a, a hand and it will be a half-hearted applause because they've had to defend their ideas and hear about why their ideas wouldn't work for the duration of the exercise. So that connection that you have that's so, that's so inspiring when you're collaborating, it, it really is demotivating when the person is shooting down your ideas. Right. It's crazy how some members of, of organizations get into this as their perceived value to an organization. So when you have a department, let's say like regulatory or legal, and they think their value is to be the brakes, as it were, to say, yes, but that's not going to uh, leave us in a good legal position or yes, but that's not in our budget. Yes, but that's not in our risk appetite. And this is actually their version of contributing value, then they start to see themselves bypassed in processes. And I've even worked with clients where they say, well, don't, uh, let's not involve procurement in this because it'll take too long. And, uh, and then we'll get watered down where we can't even run a course. So we'll actually call this training something else so that <laughs> we don't have to involve them. Right. Look, I love getting free improv here. So I'd like to have one final one, you know, and, and I know one of the things we work on with our clients and that people listening may say is, look, I can't speak with confidence if I don't have deep subject matter expertise, if I haven't done exceptional amount of preparation. And I know there's an improv exercise I've heard you reference, which I'm thinking uh, can help with that. Uh, and that's the instant expert. Is that? Yes. It, Tell us what the instant expert is, and then let's do it. Let's let's put you in the guinea pig seat. Here of I want to be an expert, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so even if I don't know hey, what I'm talking about, <laughs> <laughs> when we introduce improv into our courses at the Humphrey Group, it's at a point where we've already laid the foundation of organized thinking. So using the leader script to organize your thinking. And I know that you are very familiar with the leader script, where you start out with a grabber, then you have the subject, the message. Your structural statement, which is your agenda, you give your logic, and then you wrap up with a restated message and a call to action. So we have that structure already, and our participants have already uh, internalized that structure, and this is a game to help to work on it. So you're going to use that leader script that you know so well to guide you through a in-the-moment presentation about a subject that you could not possibly be an expert on. And I've got, I've got a, an app and it's called the suggestion app. And it okay. gives me a randomly generated okay. suggestion. Fire so away. I'm going to pick an, 
an activity here, and it's going to be flying a kite. So now you are going to give a talk to me using the elements of the leader's script and listening to yourself in the moment, trusting yourself about flying a kite, starting with a grabber, then reiterating the subject, giving one guiding principle or message about flying a kite, backing it up with some reasons or facts, and then tying it up with a call to action. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. Here we go. Now, go Dan, ahead. I'd be happy to, you know, flying a kite. Many people have heard the story of Ben Franklin. You know, if you haven't, Ben Franklin was said discovered electricity when he was flying a kite in the middle of a electrical storm and was shocked. Uh, and, you know, I guess learned an important lesson. But what this story really illustrates is that, you know, flying a kite is not just something you should go do. There is deep expertise that you must develop and master before you can undertake this dangerous practice. So, look, the point I want to make to you is that if you're going to be great at flying a kite, you have to know the fundamentals. So let me give you three ways that you can fly a kite. The first thing that you have to do is you have to make sure that your kite is properly set up for flying. Now, not, most people don't know this, but kites have varying degrees of aerodynamic capability. And you have to make sure that your kite is perfectly balanced. If you have an imbalanced kite, you know, where the angles on one side are not symmetrical to the other, you're already behind the eight ball. And so you should take your kite and, you know, if you're a rudimentary flyer, you can just do this with a ruler. But there's a kite measuring and balancing device you can buy. I highly recommend it. It's available on Amazon and it will give you a good assessment so that your kite is ready to go. The second thing that you should do is you should make sure that the wind conditions are right. I mean, if, unlike Franklin, make sure you're not flying in a uh, storm, but you can't just put your finger in the wind. You have to use radar because the wind speed and wind direction predetermine the launch vector that you will take with a kite. And so you really have to do your homework. And I've actually invested, and I recommend you invest in a home windsock, you know, a windsock combined with a radar app. Uh, and when you have these two things, it really sets you up for success. Third and finally, you have to weight train. I mean, this is not your grandfather's kite flying. We are in the high-performance kite business now, so you should be doing land training year-round. You should probably have a personal trainer so that you can really wrestle the kite around at maximum speed. I mean, if you're going to spend all that money on kite balancing and wind analysis, you don't want to be the weakest link in your you know, human and machine chain. So that's really the starting point. We haven't even talked launch yet, but you know, we only have a certain amount of time here. So just to sum up, kite flying is all about fundamentals. Don't just put to chance and get shocked like Franklin. Do your research. And in fact, we're going to have a kite flying seminar next week. I encourage you to sign up. There's a, there's a code that you can enter to get 10% off and I'll, I'll leave that in the show notes. <laughs> How was that? You're too, you're too good, Bart. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. It's so, fun. It's I fun mean, to just BS your way through it. Yeah, yeah. Spur of the moment. And what that does for our, our participants in a course is reinforce this, reinforce this power of organized thought. So because you had the leader's script as the components that you were filling on the fly, mm -hmm. then you had this sense of confidence that you were saying something that was coherent. Mm -hmm. And you had a great grabber about Brent Franklin. Your message was about the fundamentals about flying a kite. Then your three points were about the equipment, 
the wind conditions and the weather, and then the weight training and personal readiness. And the call to action was to sign up for this seminar that you had. So that organized thinking was very persuasive and inspirational, even though you had zero preparation. So this Mm. is where... This is where we come back to that, where we started, really, where preparation is only one way to feel confident. The other way to feel confident is in the way that you deliver and in your ability to organize your thinking on the fly. Mm. So the second now part of this, uh, of this activity would be to do one that is actually rooted in your experience and your knowledge. So to talk about business development right. at the Humphrey Group or talk about why it's important that leaders are inspirational. Right. And now that you've had this kind of free reign to make it up with a mm. suggested topic, then you use that same kind of, okay. then you use that same kind of uh, improv approach to activate what you do know. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. I know we're, we could spend hours doing improv, but you know, what I'm really taking away is that preparation, as you said, is part of it. And you also, though, just need to embrace the moment, right? Whether it's embracing what people are saying or embracing the topic with passion, right? Rather than getting into your own head, as I as I try not to do in the, the kite flying. And, and it just becomes a lot more fun, frankly, <laughs> when you're speaking this way. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it is about being in the moment and being able to react to what you hear, a lot of people say mm-hmm. to me they can't do improv because they can't think that fast. I could never perform because I can't think that fast in the moment. And I always laugh and respond in the same way. It's not about thinking fast at all. It's about thinking slow. It's about slowing down and letting yourself, first of all, receive the offer that you have heard, be it a question or be it a comment or be it a reaction from someone. And then to be able to access all of your wisdom, all of your experience, and say what logically is appropriate to respond to that offer. And then it seems like magic. It seems like you, it you're so quick on your feet and so fast, but it's actually a result of having slowed down to a maximum level, level of attentiveness. Hmm. I love it, Dan. I love it. And so what I'm taking away is that anyone can do improv. It's hugely valuable for leaders. It's yes. going to build your listening skills. It's going to let you be present. It's going to help facilitate co-creation. It's going to build your mental nimbleness. It's everyone should do it. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and so, Dan, thank you for sharing. Thank you for putting me through some improv. For people listening who want to get into improv and maybe who can't come to a theater sports league in Vancouver, where do you advise them to start? And what resources would you recommend to them? Great. So uh, if you look in your city for an improv theater, it is such a fast-growing art form. Most cities, and I know this because when I travel with the Humphrey Group, the first thing I do is figure out if I can catch a show wherever I am. Hmm. So be it Atlanta or uh, be it L.A. or New York or Houston or Minneapolis, they've all got big theater scenes when when I'm down in the States. Calgary is one of the actually birthplaces of theater, uh, of improv theater in Canada. The, the uh, very famous founder of theater sports, Keith Johnson, is actually from Calgary. And so his Loose Moose Theater is there. 
And um, there's so many great theaters in Toronto as mm, well, Bad know. Dog Theater and Second City. Just take a class. Take one of those drop-in classes that the theater offers, and they'll start speaking about these ideas of yes and, of body language, speaking before you speak, of building and co-creating with a partner. And these kind of exercises have real business results when you start to apply them in your communication with your team. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm already going to put that yes and into practice uh, more consciously. So Dan, thank you for coming on the Inspire podcast again. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to more improv with you. I look forward to more episodes of the Inspire podcast. Thanks, Bart. It's been an honor. Take care. Hope you enjoyed my improvised conversation on improv with Dan Doomshaw. Always a lot to take away. I always try and keep that yes and principle front of mind. Uh, because, you know, really, when you think about great leadership, it is about being present. It's about co-creating. It's about really building something together through communication. And I just think there's so much we can incorporate from improv. Next week, we have as a guest, John Ewing. And John is the chief investment officer of a firm called Ewing Morris. And if you don't know what investment management professionals do, they research companies, they try and figure out which ones are going to be successful, and then they buy those ones. And one of the ways they do that is by interviewing people. And John deconstructs how they prepare for and conduct these interviews to learn more than companies might have been prepared to share. So come back next week. Uh, It's a neat conversation. 